Please turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy 3. We're, we're in Philippians. We're going to read 1 Timothy 3 together this morning. As you turn there, I uh, just want to encourage you to uh, come out next week, uh, next Sunday evening for our Sunday evening service, our monthly Sunday evening service. Uh, it's the third Sunday of every month. And we'd love to, I think it's just a, a great time for us as a church to be able to get together as a church family and, and fellowship together. We're talking about joyful fellowship as we go through Philippians. And so that's one of the ways I think we, we build a deep fellowship is we're able to talk about some things on a Sunday evening we can't always talk about together on a Sunday morning. So be sure to, to come out for that. Also, just thinking of, of family things, there, I wanted to let you know that this past week we made a payment of $500,000 on our church loan. So, yeah, that's kind of exciting, right? Uh, it wasn't me, personally. Um, <laughs> don't feel looking really impressed. I, I didn't even know, but honestly, I didn't know until uh, a few days before it happened. Someone mentioned it to me. Like, oh, that's, that's really exciting. So there are a lot of uh, people that are working on our finances and are just doing such a great job tracking those things. And we were able to make a payment from both the building fund and the general fund. So if you've given to the church at all, uh, in any way over the last year, uh, you've, you've been a part of that. We've, we've paid, uh, this time last year, we owed $4.2 million on the building, and now we're down to $3.2 million. So, I, you know, I don't know if we can do that every year, but that's a really exciting last year, right? So um, just, I found that really encouraging, and I hope you do as well. So we're in Philippians. We're looking at verses 1 and 2 again this morning. So we're averaging a verse a week. We're going to pick up the pace a little bit, but uh, the, the first two weeks we're averaging a, a, a verse a week. But we're going to be talking about who the we're talking about who the letter is to. It's from these servants of, of Christ to the saints in Christ, and we're going to be talking about the saints a lot this morning. That's where we're going to spend most of our time. But there's there's a subgroup that this is addressed to. It's the saints who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about overseers and deacons. We've talked about overseers and deacons in the last couple of years and gone a little bit more in depth there. I'll talk about them a little bit this morning. But I wanted to read 1 Timothy 3 together that addresses the qualifications for overseers, elders, and the qualifications for deacons. And so if you'd stand with me in honor of God, if you're able to, as we read from 1 Timothy chapter 3, and before I read, from, I'll, I'll read Philippians 1 and 2, and then I'll go to 1 Timothy 3. So Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 1 Timothy chapter 3, who are these overseers and deacons? This saying is trustworthy, verse 1. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. 
Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. May God encourage and strengthen us through his word this morning. Father, I'm grateful this morning for your saints. We're thankful to you that you've brought us through the blood of your son Jesus into this covenant relationship with you. And now we're set apart, we're devoted to you for your glory, and we're in fellowship together this morning for your glory, for our joy, for a relationship with you. We pray that as we look at this text, you would encourage our hearts, you would strengthen us. We pray that we would grow closer to you this morning as a result of, of thinking about these things biblically, truthfully, rightly. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to tell an old joke. Uh, maybe you've heard it before, uh, but I'm going to tell it again anyway. Uh, there was a, a man who was sailing by himself in the Pacific Ocean, and during a storm, he was shipwrecked on a deserted island. Years go by, and finally one day, a, a passing ship sees his, his smoke signal and stops, and this man who's been on this deserted island by himself for years is finally rescued. He's showing the, the people who've, been, who've rescued him around the island, and they come to the beach, and the captain of the ship that's rescued him asks him, he says, hey, I, I, what are those three huts there? And the man says, well, this, this first hut is my house. It's, it's where I live. Uh, the second hut is my church. It's, it's where I worship God. There's an awkward silence. And the captain says, and, and, the, and the third hut? And the guy goes, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> the joke kills with pastors. Uh, <laughs> We always find it hilarious, right? Because it's it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a defensive joke for pastors, I think. You know, like we've all as as pastors had people leave the church uh, at times where we felt like it wasn't uh, our, our fault necessarily, and and the joke kind of tells us, yeah, there's there's some people who leave a church even though they're the only person in it. For some of us, maybe the joke's not so funny. Right? The comedy is tragedy plus time. And for some of us, maybe probably all of us have had to leave a church in some hard circumstances, and for some of us, the, the wound is, is pretty raw. Fellowship in a church is hard. It's really hard at times, right? In Philippians, Paul's talking about how we can have joy, joy in the Christian life. One of the, one of the goals of the Christian life is to to, to have a life of joy. And if, if this is joy, sometimes it feels like 
a church and, and fellowship in a church is an obstacle to joy. In other words, if, if we're going to have joy, sometimes it seems like that joy would be more easily achieved apart from a church instead of in it. And yet, Paul, as he writes Philippians and talks about joy, it is all about fellowship. For Paul, it is clear that the joy that God wants us to have doesn't exist apart from fellowship. It might seem counterintuitive to us. In verse 1, he reveals something about the structure of the fellowship that we're to have. Here, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, that the church is a community of believers. It's, it's to the, this letter's to the saints. And he says, you know, these are the saints at Philippi. It's a local assembly of the saints, along with overseers or elders and deacons. He's telling us something about the nature of the church in which we're supposed to have fellowship, in which we're supposed to pursue the joy that God desires us to have. Here's the main idea I want us to think about together this morning. A church made up of regenerate church members led by godly pastor elders and cared for by faithful deacons will be a place where joyful fellowship in Christ can occur. So a, a church that is a a church is made up of regenerate church members, and we'll talk about what that word regenerate means. It means the, the, the Spirit has brought life. He brought people from death to life. We're talking about Christians here. A church made up of Christians and led by godly pastor elders and, and cared for by faithful deacons is going to be the place in which joyful fellowship in Christ can occur. This is what we're striving to achieve. And so as we, as we get ready to go into Philippians and we talk about praying for each other and we talk about what it looks like to, to live in unity in Christ and we talk about uh, different things related to who Christ is and how we're to serve each other, we're, we're, we want to lay the foundation and say, okay, this is the context in which we're, we're talking about these things occurring. Whenever our daughter and, and son-in-law got married, they wanted to have pizzas at the reception. And so we kind of researched how to get pizzas at a reception, and, and we realized, okay, it'd be, be easier if we just made the pizzas ourselves. By we, I mean our friends made the pizzas uh, ourselves, right? And so we, what we did is we, we bought a couple of, of pizza ovens, and some people brought some pizza ovens, and, and we made pizza, pizzas for their reception. Now, if you take the ingredients of a pizza, some dough and some tomato sauce and cheese and some pepperoni and, and, and you put them all together and you, you set them on the counter, what's going to happen? Nothing. That, that's not going to turn into a pizza you can eat, right? You, you need an oven. You need a place where, that, where all those ingredients come together and the, the pizza's baked. Many of us, as we live the Christian life, we, we have some ingredients we've kind of put together we read our Bibles some, we, we pray, and we know we're supposed to be giving to, to missionaries and things like that, and, and we, we know we need to be doing nice things for people, we need to be good parents or, or good siblings or good kids. And we have some ingredients together, but what we need to understand about the Christian life is those ingredients don't just kind of exist by themselves and sit somewhere. There's a place in which they all kind of cook together, and that, that place is the church. And here, as Paul writes the book of Philippians and addresses this letter to these, to these saints, we see something about the nature of the church. And so let's talk about the three groups of people that Paul is addressing here. Number one, 
He's addressing this letter to regenerate church members. You say, Daniel, what does that word regenerate mean? Well, regeneration is a work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, turn with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 3. Turn to Titus chapter 3. Regeneration is this work that the Holy Spirit does, whereby he brings that which is dead to life. So listen to what Paul says in, Philippians, or in, in Titus chapter 3. Verse 3 of Titus 3, he says, We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. So here's who we were before we were in Christ. This is what Ephesians 2 describes as being dead in our trespasses and sins. So we used to be dead, we, and he describes this death in, in, in ways of walking in foolishness, being disobedient, slaves to passions and pleasures, hating, being hated, and so forth. But what happens? Verse 4, God intervenes, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Now, how did God work that salvation? It wasn't things that we did. He says, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So regenerate church membership means that the, the people who make up the church, who are the members of the church, are, are people that God, as far as we can tell, has brought out of death into life. That's the, the membership of the church. And you say, well, Daniel, doesn't, doesn't everyone think that the members of the church should be Christians? Well, no, not necessarily. We have some of our brothers and sisters would say that the church membership is made up of uh, Christians and their households, believers in their households. And so uh, children, for example, become part of the church in terms of being members of it. And others would say, look, anybody can be a part of the church that wants to. There was a prominent movement called the Emergent Church Movement a few years ago that had the phrase, I think this is where I first heard this phrase, they used this phrase, belong, believe, become. I've, I've seen it in various denominations in the, in the coming years since then, but belong, believe, become, or behave. And so the idea is you, you first of all come and, and belong, become, become a part of the church, be, be one of us, and then the hope is that as you become one of us, you'll start to believe, and once you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll start to behave like a believer as well and be become more like Christ. Now, there's some good motivation behind that, right? We, we certainly, if, if you come into Bethany Community Church and you aren't a believer, uh, we don't want to be rude to you. We, we don't want to say you can't walk in the doors or anything like that. But we certainly don't want you to think of yourself as, as part of the church yet. You say, well, that seems a little rude, Daniel. No, it's crucial that unbelievers know they, they don't yet belong to the church. The letter, as we, we talked about two weeks ago, the letter is to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippites. It's to this local church, and the local church is populated with, with saints, with believers. That doesn't mean the super spiritual. It's all believers. All believers in Christ are set aside by God to be devoted to his glory. 
They're, the membership of the church is made up of, as, as far as we can tell, visible saints, those who are in Christ. Historically, Baptists, and I don't mean Baptists like a denomination, specific denomination of Baptists, but historic Baptists, those who are convinced of Baptistic theology, have, have understood this. In the Second London Confession from the 17th century, a statement of faith that has shaped a lot of Baptist statements of faith, they talk about those, they talk about a, a church being made up of visible saints, professing Christians, and it says this, the Lord Jesus, again, this is from the 17th century, the Lord Jesus calls out of the world unto himself through the ministry of his word by his spirit, those that are given unto him by his father, that they may walk before him in all the ways of obedience, which he prescribes to them in his word. Those thus called, he commands to walk together in particular societies or churches for their mutual edification, for the performance of public worship, which he requires of them in the world. So what has God done? He brings life to those who are dead by his grace, not by our works. And then what does he do? He calls us to, to be a part of, of churches. And it's in these churches where we, we do the things that God has called us to do. You say, well, Daniel, why is, why is regenerate church membership so important? Like, who cares? A couple reasons. Here's, here's why it matters. Number one, the membership of the church, the, the, sorry, the ministry of the church requires it. The ministry of the church requires regenerate church membership. The church is to engage in ministry, right? And the ministries that the church is called to do, we see in Scripture, are, are called to be done by believers. So, for example, First Peter chapter 4, Peter writes this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. And so God gives his grace among believers in different ways. Some of us have one gift, some of us have another gift, but none of us are to be using these gifts independent of one another. We're to be exercising these gifts within the context of a church. And then he says, for example, this is 1 Peter 4, verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. When I was 15 years old, I began working at, at Arby's, one of the greatest fast food restaurants uh, ever, right? I'm biased. And I remember the first day, it was a really busy day. And so they just took this 15-year-old that had never worked in, in fast food before and just said, go man that register and take people's orders, okay? And so I just can remember standing at that register and uh, people saying, you know, I'd like, a, I'd like a giant roast beef sandwich, some curly fries, and a mocha shake. I mean, going, okay. <laughs> oh, uh, and then, you know, trying to find the, the different thing and, and then press them and press the buttons and then having no idea where does the food come from. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe someone will get it for I just, just totally clueless, right? 
when a person comes in the church and they're not a believer, and yet we expect them to do ministry, that's, that's spiritual malpractice, right? How, do, how does a person do ministry? By the, Peter says, by the strength that God supplies. And so to ask unregenerate people to do the ministry of the Spirit is, is just, it, it doesn't work. The, the ministry of the church requires regenerate church membership. Number two, the authority of the church requires it. The authority of the church requires regenerate church membership. You know, in 1 Corinthians 6, remember Paul is, is reprimanding the church at Corinth. He says, look, you guys are engaging in lawsuits against one another, and, and, and that should not be. He says, you should be bringing these disagreements to the church instead of these courts. He says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that we are to judge angels, how much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? So the church is, is to have the, uh, a certain amount of authority over each other's lives. He says, why would you be bringing things to the, to the courts? These are things that, that we as believers should have authority over. And so if a church is going to have authority that believers have, Believers need to make up the church. Matthew chapter 16. Remember Jesus says that, uh, that the, the church has been given the keys and so that whatever we, we loose on earth will be, or bound, whatever's bound on earth will be bound in heaven. There's authority that the church has. You and I, as we become members of the church, are placing ourselves under the authority of one another. It's the church as a Bethany community. Different churches kind of handle this in different ways. But at Bethany Community Church, it's, it's, the, it's the church that does things like approves the budget. So as we, as we give to the church, as we financially entrust the things that God has given us to one another, we're, we're, we're entrusting the church to have authority to, to, to spend these things. That's, that's a lot of authority. We're entrusting the church with who becomes, uh, who affir is affirmed as, as elders and deacons and, and different officers in the, in the church. We're entrusting the church with other church members. We're saying, okay, we as a church are affirming these things. We bring church discipline matters to the church. So there's a lot that, that I'm trusting you to do in my life as I become a member of the church. That's a lot of authority. The authority that you have as a church requires regenerate church members. I, I want the spirit to be residing in all of you as I place myself and my family in your leadership and trust my soul to your care. Another reason that regenerate church membership is, is required is the witness of the church requires it. There needs to be a clear demarcation between those who are and are not part of the local church. You know, the attractional church model it's kind of this, this consumeristic idea of, of the church, and so there's this idea that, that we want to uh, attract people to the church, and so we do some things to, to bring people in, and, and I, I think that's caused us to really blur the lines between who is and who is not in Christ. And so the, the witness of the church requires us to be very clear. Look, this is what the gospel proclaims, and a person who affirms this gospel by both their, their doctrine and their, their lifestyle is a person who's part of the church, a person who denies 
the gospel and their doctrine or their, their refusal to re- repent of sinful lifestyle, that's a person who's not inside the church. The witness of the church requires it both inside and outside of the church. I was talking about this passage with our care group on Friday night, and uh, some of the people in our care group mentioned that they had grown up in churches where they just assumed they were believers. They were in a church, they were praying, they were reading the Bible, so therefore they, they must be believers. It's crucial that we communicate to the church, look, just because you come to Bethany Community Church, just because you sing songs here in our assembly, doesn't mean you're a believer. A person is a believer who has recognized their sin, has recognized that Jesus Christ came lived as a perfect man, fully God, fully man, died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead, and God offers us eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So a a believer is someone who's placed their trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, not someone who's attempted to earn their salvation. The witness of the church requires it. The witness of the church requires it not just internally, but externally. How many times have we heard people say, look, uh, the church is just like the world. And we certainly don't want that to be the case. We're certainly sinners like the rest of the world, but we're people who have been transformed by God's grace and are attempting to live in obedience to him. So the witness of the church requires regenerate church membership. And then the sanctification of the church requires it. This idea of sanctification, of being more and more devoted to God and his glory is something that we're going to continue to see as we go throughout the book of Philippians, but in Romans chapter 12, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, that, that, that is fellow believers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's part of our goal as a church, Right? Our hope is that in, in five years, we're going to be looking more and more like Jesus Christ than we do today. And we hope that as we look back five years from today, we'd say, yeah, five years ago, I was certainly not walking with the Lord like I am today. Now, how does that take place? It takes place as we exist within a, a body of Christ pursuing these things together. We want to present our, ourselves as believers to the Lord a living sacrifice, not being conformed to the world, not being conformed to the image of those who aren't in Christ, but instead continually being transformed as we look to who God is as we come to his word. We want to know what his will is, what's good, what's acceptable, what's perfect. We want to grow closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that requires that the members that we're doing that with be fellow believers. And then there's more I could say here, but the the final thing I'd ask you to consider as we think about the importance of regenerate church membership, uh, the worship of the church requires this. The, The worship of the church requires this. This time that we come together each week is is for the believer. If you are not in Christ, you are more than, than welcome to be here this morning. We're glad you're here, and we hope that you, you hear God's word and are convicted by God's word and that you place your faith in Jesus Christ. But the, the service is not designed around you. The church service and the time that we gather to worship 
as an assembly, as an ecclesia, as a church, is designed to glorify God, which is only possible for those who are in Christ. As Mike said earlier this morning, we gather to read the words, to sing the word, to pray the word, to preach the word, to see the word. That's something we do as those who are in Christ. Let me give you a couple applications here. Uh, number one, first application here, the church needs to require its members to be believers, right? We need to, as much as we can. And of course, no one can see inside another person's heart perfectly, but as, as much as is possible, as, as people come into the church, we want to say, yes, this, this, we can affirm that this person has a credible testimony by both their, what they're professing about their faith in Jesus Christ and their commitment to walk in obedience to God. We're not saying this person is perfect. We're not saying we're perfect. We're saying that this, this person believes the gospel and is trusting in Jesus Christ, and as they encounter sin, they're going to repent and turn and continue to, to walk closer with God. That's so as a person becomes a, a member of the church, we're saying, look, we, we believe, we're, we're, as a church, collectively, we're affirming this person's profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And so in the entrance, we want to require church membership. And we also believe it's, it's necessary for this to take place. We also believe it's necessary to practice what we call church discipline or church restoration. What that means is when a person begins to deny the gospel, either through saying, look, I, I no longer believe in the, the truth of the gospel that a person is saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. When a person begins to, to say that they, they no longer affirm the gospel, we're going to say, well, we, we can't affirm your testimony any longer. For the sake of all the things that we've talked about before, we're going to have to say, we, we have to remove that, we have to remove that uh, official designation of you as a member of our church because you're no longer saying that you're in Christ, either through your your profession of your, your doctrine, or through your lifestyle. A, per, a person begins to live in a way that God's word says they're not supposed to live, and then the, the church comes alongside them and says, hey, look, this is not how God says a believer is, is supposed to live. Let's, let's turn from this. And then uh, the person says, no, I'm not going to. And the whole church says, yes, you need to. And they say, no, I'm not going to. And then the church says, look, we, we can't affirm your testimony any longer. I, I was talking to a man once, and uh, he, he, he had uh, was abandoning his wife, and uh, we, were, we were talking with him. I was pleading with him, and he said, look, Daniel, um, you're my friend. You're not going to turn your back on me, right? You're not going to put me on church discipline. You're, you said you love me. And I said, well, I, I do. <laughs> That's exactly why I, I would do that. I said, actually, what I believe is going to happen is you're going to turn. Because my, my, my hope is that you're in Christ. But I said, my, I, I told my friend, look, if, if you were drowning in the ocean, I wouldn't just turn around and pretend I didn't see you there, right? I, I'd plead with you, <laughs> grab the life preserver, be saved, be rescued. So the first application, again, the church needs to require its members to be believers, again, as much as we can tell. A second application is if you're a believer, you need to make sure you're a member of a local church. You need to formally commit to placing yourself in the care of the body. Paul, as he writes to the church in Philippi, it's very clear to him who's in and who's 
out of the church. Here's, you're the people who are part of the church, the saints, all the saints are at Philippi. The overseer, he knows who's part of the church and he knows who's not part of the church. As he writes to the church in Corinth, there's a, these are the people who are in the church. These are the people that are no longer in the part of the church. Here are the people who have formerly committed. He, he knows who's in and out. Now, a couple, couple caveats with that. Um, some of you don't trust the church, okay? And I, I understand that. Some of you have been some really horrific situations. And so my encouragement to some of you would be don't join the church too quickly, okay? This church or other churches that God may call you to begin to participate in. But commitment is part of being a family. Commitment and trust. Church membership requires vulnerability. Every family is going to have its failings. Bethany Community Church has its failings. You're here for a year. You're, you're going to be able to, to write me an email. Hey, here are the failings I see at Bethany Community Church. Just go ahead and send that uh, to Ben. Um, <laughs> he's really good at handling criticism. I'm not. Uh, no, I, I need to be. The family, it, we're, we're part of a family. We're, we're, there's commitment. There's trust. There's vulnerability. Church membership requires that. Now, I would also, another caveat, I know some of you are prevented right now from joining Bethany Community Church because of some, some different convictions. You say, I, I can't yet, con I'm not convinced of some of the things that you're convinced of. And what do we say there? Well, we say, you know what? Uh, human institutions are imperfect. And so we strive as much as we're able to to, to walk in obedience to God as, as far into membership as we can, committing to one another, recognizing, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the verses I pray daily is from 2 Chronicles 30, where Hezekiah is, is trying to get the people to participate in the Passover. There's some people who didn't fulfill the, the law regarding the cleanness of, and purification. And Hezekiah finally says, look, may the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. In other words, Lord, at the end of the day, because of sin, because of imperfection, we, we can't be perfect. And so the Lord accepts our hearts. But as much as is possible with us, we want to be members of the local church. We want to be committed to membership and walk in obedience to the Lord. And then finally, a third application here would be pray. Pray that God would help us fulfill these commitments that we've made to one another. Since the 1600s and even before that, churches have had covenant statements, statements that express formally, hey, here's what we're committing to do. And what I want to do this morning is I want to pause the sermon here for a second. I've invited some members. If some members would kind of join me here uh, up on uh, wherever you want to join me. <laughs> I, on, I told you on Friday I, I had our care group and we were talking about this, this passage. And I said, let's read our, our membership commitment statement together. I had planned on reading it, but as they read it, I'm like, oh, this is way better. And so I'd like to introduce my favorite members in the church right now, <laughs> part of my care group, and then poor Cam, who was sitting by my wife this morning, say, hey, Cam, what are you doing this morning? And he's like, oh, no. Uh, so I, I, I asked them to read it instead of me. So I'm going to pause the sermon here for a second, and I'd like them to read our commitment statement. And let's just, as we read this, let's pray as we read it that, that God would help us fulfill these things. The, covenants, the, the commitment statement that we're making to one another is not a covenant by which we're congratulating ourselves for having reached all these things. This is aspirational, not congratulatory. So we don't read this and saying, I've arrived. These are some things that should help 
uh, encourage us. So, uh, Seth, you want to go ahead and start and, and read this, and we can kind of all think about it together. Having been led, as we believe, by the Spirit of God to repent of sin and believe in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, and having been baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit upon our profession of faith, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, solemnly and joyfully covenant with one another to strive to do the following by the grace of God, recognizing that of ourselves we would surely fail. By God's grace, we will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We will act in Christian love toward one another by refusing to gossip, by resolving conflict spiritually, and by supporting our leadership. We will exercise affectionate care and watchfulness over each other and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. We will share the responsibility of this church by praying for ourselves, our leadership, and others. We will endeavor to bring up such as may at any time be under our care in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will warmly welcome those who visit our church we will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We will strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and peace. We will strive to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and spread of the gospel through all nations. We will serve the ministry of this church by discovering and using our gifts and talents by growing in spiritual maturity, and by cultivating a servant's heart. We will support the testimony of this church by honoring the name of Jesus Christ. We will maintain our personal testimonies by living carefully in this world and denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, remembering that we have been buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of life. We will, when we move from this place as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. Thanks, guys. Mr. Tab. That's why you don't want to be in my care group, one. Um, <laughs> you never know what I'm going to ask you to do. But I, I appreciate that that's the, every person that just read that has made that commitment to each of you already. And if you're a member of the church, those are the commitments you've made to, to them and to one another. Now, as we read that through on, on Friday night, we, we all were able to point to, to different points in that where we say, you know what, I, I'm convicted by that. I'm convicted by this line. I'm convicted by this idea. I, I haven't done this the way that I, I, I would like. So again, this is not a statement of, of, some, of perfection. It's, here's what we're saying. This is our church commitment statement. It's not exhaustive. It doesn't say everything in scripture we're supposed to do, but it's, hopefully it's all, it is all biblical. These are the things we're aspiring to do together. And, and you see why that's so crucial for joyful fellowship? If this was not what we were committed to as a church, it would not be possible to pursue the joyful fellowship that God desires us to be pursuing. We read that and we think, boy, there's, 
There's some things about using my spiritual gifts I'm not doing. There's some things about uh, gossip that I'm not, I'm not doing well. There's some, some conflict I'm not being faithful and resolving. Uh, again, it's not congratulatory. It's aspirational. God, in your grace, continue to allow me to pursue these things so I can experience the joyful fellowship you desire me to have with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, let's just spend a couple minutes talking about the other groups that are addressed here. Uh, secondly, godly pastors. So regenerate church membership, that's why we're pursuing that. That's the need for joyful fellowship there, but also godly pastor elders. And I would just direct you, in April of 2022, I did a four-part series on elders, and you can go back and reference that. It's from Acts chapter 20, and, and if you find it helpful to know more, that's where you can go. I'm not going to spend time going into all that much detail this morning. just want to touch on a, a couple things. He says, uh, with the overseers, and that, that word overseers is the Greek word episkopos. It refers to one who's a guardian or a, a supervisor of something. The church uses it to describe those who are, are guarding the church, protecting it. It's used several times in the New Testament. Acts chapter 20, as I already mentioned, pay careful attention to yourselves. In verse 28, Paul says to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And he's talking to elders. He says, you guys are, are episkopos, uh, overseers. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, he talks about those who are in positions of authority or are above reproach. And he says in 1 Timothy, an overseer must be above reproach. So it's very important that you realize that an overseer here is another word for elder or another word for what we call pastor. In Acts 20, Paul's calling the elders and he talks about them being overseers. And so we tend to sometimes think of the people who are paid in the church as pastors and the people who are leading the church who aren't paid as elders. But really, it's, it's one office, the office of pastor elder. The other thing that I want you to notice here is that it's, it's plural, right? Notice he doesn't say in verse 1, to the saints who are in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi, with the overseer, singular, and deacons. No, overseers is plural. So it's not just to be one pastor, one bishop, one overseer, one elder, but it's, it's, it's a group who are functioning, a group of men who are functioning here as overseers. Now, just having one pastor who leads the church is not a biblical concept. Tempting some days maybe, but not biblical, right? We need a, a group who are exercising team leadership, and not a day goes by that I'm not thankful for the, the, the pastor elders who shepherd the flock here. So, elders talk more about this other places. They, they fulfill this God-ordained ministry. They proclaim the whole counsel of God. Paul says there in Acts chapter 20, they, they take this primary aspect of uh, their ministry being teaching. They're not business managers, not CEOs. They're teaching sound doctrine. They're refuting those who contradict. They treasure the church. Remember what he says, uh, careful attention to yourselves, to all the flock, Paul says in Acts 20, 28 which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The, the church is precious to Christ, and those who exercise authority as pastor elders need to treasure the church as well. I want people to treasure me. I want the, the people who are in charge of my, my souls to, to, to treasure me. And then elders exercise authority. Now, it's a limited authority. It's not absolute. 
but it's, it's real as they, they exercise this authority, as they watch out for danger. They help provide direction for the church. Now, what happens if a church doesn't have this? Well, it's harder for joyful fellowship to exist. A couple applications, just real quickly. One, you, you need to desire and demand godly shepherds. That, that needs to be a desire. That's a godly thing to desire, and it's a godly demand to make of your church. We want godly shepherds. Another application is we need to submit to godly shepherds. Now, I have no word of rebuke or correction for you in terms of your submission to the elders at Bethany. I think every elder would say, man, the, the church here is just so gracious to us as we shepherd. They fulfill the words of the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13, 17, where he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And I can't think of any elder at Bethany Community Church who wouldn't say that shepherding is not a joy in terms of how the congregation cares for us and loves us. The congregation has authority, the elders have authority, and in, in, in a healthy relationship, people aren't arguing about who has authority or what issues, but both everyone that's involved in different areas of authority is constantly laying down one another's life for one another. If the elders aren't leading well, it's going to be a miserable place for the church. If the church is constantly bickering and pushing back on every decision the elders want to make, it's not going to be a healthy place. It's like a marriage relationship in that sense. But by God's grace, we want to, we want to uh, submit to godly elders. We want to desire and demand godly elders. And then another application here is we want, we want to hold shepherds accountable. Submitting to godly elders doesn't mean we don't say anything when we think something's wrong. We want to hold shepherds accountable. All of us should be gracious in this process. So, you know, it'd, it'd be a pretty boring church if no one ever had hard questions, right? I, I, I think all those who are in leadership would say, I, I, I grow as, as people come and say, hey, you know, Daniel or whoever... God's word says we're supposed to be doing this, but instead we're doing that. Or maybe it's not even an issue of, of black and white. This is what scripture says or doesn't, doesn't say, hey, we're doing this as a church and, and we think this would be a wiser course of action. And, and in a healthy church, those conversations are going to happen frequently. You should feel completely at ease. I mean, just except for the normal kind of human tendency to sometimes avoid conflict, you should feel at complete ease talking to any elder about any situation in which you're troubled. And then finally, faithful deacons. That's the third group that are addressed here, the deacons. And how grateful are we for the deacons at Bethany Community Church? I was just talking to a deacon this morning as, as I saw him. I, I, as I saw him, I thought about an email that I had, had seen this past week that he had been uh, the initiator of, and I just thought, oh, I am so grateful that we have the deacons that we have. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. You can go back to October of 2020 as I was in Acts chapter 6 and we talked about a several part series on what the, the deacons are and what they do. But basically a deacon we saw then is a, a, a person who faithfully serves the church by taking responsibility for meeting the physical needs of the body of Christ for the glory of God. There are physical needs that hinder the work, the ability of the church to do its work and meeting those physical needs is the calling of every believer and the, de and the deacons help us do that in the right way. They're 
people of wisdom, spiritual maturity, godly leadership. They're, they're spiritual and practical requirements for deacons that deacons must fulfill. They have good reputations. They're spirit-filled, and we are so grateful to God for their models of spiritual maturity to help us grow in our ministry to one another. They're crucial for joyful fellowship to exist in this entity we call the church. So what do we do? We want to pray for them. We want to praise God for the ones that he's provided. Philippians is about joyful fellowship. Fellowship in the church is hard. Some of you have, have had to go through very difficult situations in your life, in the life of the church. And the church has not always been a place in which you say, yeah, that, there's joy there. But what do we see as we begin Philippians? Paul is going to tell us some exciting things. He's going to talk about the advancement of the gospel. He's going to talk about rejoicing. He's going to talk about letting your life be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to talk about the encouragement of Christ, comfort from love, participation in the Spirit, affection, sympathy. He's going to talk about obeying God and working out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's God who works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He's going to say rejoice in the Lord in, in chapter 3. He's going to talk about pressing on and, and, and he's going to talk about imitating him and, and keeping our eyes on on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's going to talk about all these, these, these amazing things. We're going to be encouraged, but what we need to understand, all the, the incredible things he's going to tell us about how we can walk in joy with our God, they all take place within the context of this fellowship. This fellowship we call imperfect, though it may be, the body of Christ. We're to love one another, to care for one another, to exercise our gifts within this body for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we confess this morning to you our failure. Uh, none of us in here have, have treated your body, the, the church, the way that you would have us with, with perfection. We confess that. There are times that we've gossiped. Uh, there's times we've not dealt with conflict biblically. There's times that we've uh, failed to care physically or spiritually for each other. We've failed to warmly welcome those who visit the church. Uh, we've failed to advance in knowledge and in holiness and peace, this assembly. But Father, our, our hope this morning doesn't rest in our past failure. It rests not in our imperfect elders or our imperfect deacons or imperfect selves. It rests and has complete confidence in our perfect shepherd, Jesus Christ. We cling to him this morning. We press forward together as your body this morning with our hope firmly and only in him. Lord, as our hope and our confidence is in your son, Jesus, empower us through the work of the Spirit. Let us live the calling that you, our Father, have given us.
with great joy as we fellowship together. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.